0: This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. 28 through to 34 and chapter 47 verses 1 through to 12. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him to Goshen, and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot And went up to meet Israel, his father in Geshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls to you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Geshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Geshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, "'Your father and your brothers have come to you. "'The land of Egypt is before you. "'Settle your father and your brothers "'in the best of the land. "'Let them settle in the land of Goshen. "'And if you know any able men among them, "'put them in charge of my livestock.' Then Joseph brought in Jacob his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his brother, his father, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. Amen.
1: Amen. Around this time of year, uh, many of our church family have visited home, and come back from their vacation. And they're back, they're feeling great, they're excited to be back in Korea, refreshed, rejuvenated, ready to go. Months pass, and almost without fail come March and April, and I always hear, I'm ready to go back home. Mm -hmm. It's tough. It can be tough living as a foreigner in a foreign country. And some of you, you haven't been back at home for a while now. And you've been feeling this for quite some time. You want to take a break. The journey has been rough. It's been difficult. There's been ups and downs. And you want to visit home. Likewise, for our Korean friends here with us today, this is your country. This is your home. But this is a feeling you can resonate with as well. For our Korean men that are here with us, most likely you served in military duty. That was a very rough journey for you, I'm sure. And during that time, those two years away, when the difficulties came, you were thinking, oh. I wish I could be back home. Our spiritual life is no different. We look at this idea of sojourner, being displaced from our home and longing for that home. The spiritual reality for us as Christians is that we are also on a similar journey. This world is not our home, but we are on a journey to our true home. And as we look at this passage in the life of Joseph, we will learn truths that God has given us about our sojourning that will help you on your journey. We're going to look at four different things uh, in today's passage. We're going to look at the longing, the call, the provision, and the blessing. For our surging, there is a longing, a call, a provision, and a blessing. So let's begin with the longing. We are in this point, at this point in the story of Joseph, what is going on is Joseph, after being sold and betrayed by his brothers, he makes it to number two in command of Egypt, and a famine has come upon the land. And his brothers, in order to help survive and keep the family alive, they stumble into Egypt and they reunite with Joseph. Joseph invites his entire family, the nation of Israel, only 70 people or so at the time, to come live in Egypt. So this is a story of the nation of Israel about to begin their sojourning in the land of Egypt. But before we get to that, what we have is a story of the reuniting of Jacob his Joseph. Jacob is Joseph's father, after 22 years of being separated. Now, this is a big day for Joseph. Could you imagine this? Joseph is adored by his father, so much so that his brothers are jealous. They hate him. They plot to kill him, but rather instead, they sell him off into slavery. And Joseph then soldiers into the land as a slave. He works his way up to number two. About 22 years has passed. And he is about to meet his family. He's about to meet his father. Could you imagine the emotions and the feelings he's going through? Most of us here are in Korea voluntarily. And when we get to go see our parents in the summer, from a year from now, we get so excited and we're so happy. But imagine if you're forced here against your will, cut off all contact, thinking that you'll probably never see them again, and they come and arrive at Incheon Airport. You would be overwhelmed. You'd be so high. There would be so much excitement. And let's read how the the reunion went in verses 29. And then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. The reunion, you can just feel the joy, the closure that has come between Jacob and Joseph and in their relationship. And at this point in Joseph's life, there is so much closure, right? Like we said, he started off as a slave. He worked his way up to the top servant in one of the Egyptians' household, but then gets falsely accused and gets knocked back down to a prisoner. And through God's providence and grace, he makes it back up. He climbs that corporate ladder again, and he's number two in all of Egypt. It's like the vice president of Egypt. So his career has come to a good closure, right? He's in a good place. He's happy about it. And now, the relational troubles that he was having. He was separated from his father. He was betrayed by his brothers. But now they come, they have this great moment of reconciliation. There's forgiveness, and he gets to see his father. There's a resolution there. It's come to a nice fairy tale ending. But yet, there's still a tension in Joseph's life in this passage. He is still a sojourner. Joseph is not living in the land that is promised to his people. By God, In fact, his entire peoples are about to enter into Egypt, and they'll have to suffer in the land of Egypt just as Joseph had to suffer. And it's only after that God will then lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land. It seems like everything was coming, it was wrapping up well, but another tension has come up. And so often it is the same with our lives. Right? We face a challenge, a difficulty, a trial that comes our way, and we're overburdened, we're stressed, we're worried, we're full of doubt, and by God's grace, we get through it, it comes to a closure. And before you have a chance to catch your breath, something else comes along. There's another tension, there's another challenge, there's another difficulty, and there's a reason for this. It's because this world is not our home. This is not what we were meant to be. The reason we can't have true, uninterrupted peace where everything is perfect, the reason why we can't find ultimate rest in this life is because this world is not our home. I spent a lot of time moving back and forth between uh, Korea and the U.S. Uh, About half my years, uh, and I've moved back about a total of eight times, too many times to count. And no matter how used to Korea I get, no matter how much I enjoy living here, there are things that happen along the way, the things that only happen in Korea that get me homesick, things that I just find really challenging. Sometimes it's cultural, sometimes language barriers. Filing taxes is such a headache, if you guys know what I mean. Um, There's these things that happen, these tensions, these difficulties, and when they happen, it just makes me think, oh, I wish I was back in the U.S., And that's the same for our Korean friends here today. We mentioned the military as well. You go through some very difficult days there. And when that hardship comes, what do you think of? You think of your home. You think of the food that your mom cooks you. And you want to be back there. You yearn for it. If you're a Korean lady who hasn't been to the military, this is something you can resonate with as well. If you spend a long period of time on vacation overseas, you're enjoying the food, the culture, uh, and all the sights, and all of a sudden there's a tension. There's a tension in your stomach. You want that Korean food. You want that kimchi. And so you find that Korean restaurant, and it doesn't matter where in the world it is, right? Because there's a Korean restaurant wherever you go. And you long for that peace of home. As we live in this world, we're going to face tension. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be trials. And when we do, it teaches us that there's a deeper longing in our heart. It's showing us that we're longing for a perfect home. A world that we were made for, not this one here. When we were created, we were created to live in the garden with God. We were created to live in his presence, to be known by him, to enjoy him, to live for him, and to love him. And it was perfection. It was paradise. And then sin came in, got us kicked out of the garden. Sin broke our relationship with God, and we became spiritual exiles spiritual orphans. No matter how, we try to, how much we try to settle down in this world and make it our home, you're going to realize that you are never going to be satisfied. The longings of your heart will never be satisfied. Paul describes this tension that we live in, this longing that we have in 2 Corinthians 5.4. He says this, For while we are still in this tent, tent being this earth, our temporary home, not a true home, we groan, being burdened we long we groan because of the difficulties we long because of the brokenness of the sin in this world not that we would be unclothed but that we would be further clothed clothed with the righteousness the perfected body that we're going to have in heaven so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life we look forward to eternal life that christ has bought for us on that cross and so what does this mean for us We have to have have a healthy understanding of our environment, of this world. The tensions that come to your life, don't be shocked. Don't be like, what's going on? I'm wondering, why is this happening to me? It's a result of the sin in this world. And realize this is not your true home. We live in a broken, fallen world, but you have the hope of a perfect world where you live in God's presence. That is the hope of the Christian. We look forward to that home with the Father. Next, we're going to see for our journey that we are given a call and a provision. So after this touching reunion between Joseph and his family and his father, Joseph prepares his family to talk to Pharaoh, to get Pharaoh to let them settle in the land. This is what it says. uh, Look down with me in verse 33 of chapter 46. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, Even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. Why would Joseph tell his family to tell Pharaoh something that he knew would humiliate them? Was he ashamed of his family? Why was he trying to humiliate them? Uh, Was he trying to humiliate his brothers for what they did? Absolutely not. He held his family in very hard regard. It's, it's obvious to us because he's brought them before Pharaoh. So what is Joseph trying to tell, do by telling Pharaoh that they are shepherds, which were detestable to Egyptians? Joseph was being very strategic and wise. For one, if they told Pharaoh this, Pharaoh would make sure that Pharaoh would not see Israel as a threat, basically. Think about it. Joseph's number two in all of Egypt. If Pharaoh got a whiff of nepotism of Israel trying to gain political or economic power through Joseph, there was a chance that he would not allow Israel to settle down in Egypt. But there is a very far more important reason why Joseph tells them to give this answer. Joseph was deeply committed to the preservation of the Holy Family. He was committed to the preservation of Israel. And he saw the importance of Israel living separate from the Egyptians. And giving this answer would accomplish thus that. Right? He tells his brothers to tell them they were shepherds, keepers of livestock. And this occupation, like we mentioned, is an abomination to the Egyptians. It was detestable. And in other words, they were despised. And what this would ensure was that the Egyptians would view as the Israelites as outcasts. The Egyptians would not want to mingle with the Israelites. And secondly, we see that are being shepherds, Pharaoh allows them to settle in Goshen. And in Goshen, it's fertile lands ideal for livestock. And what's unique about Goshen, what's important about Goshen, is that it's located on the fringes of Egypt. It's not in the heart of Egypt, but it's on the outskirts. So what's the importance of all this? It's by being outcasts, is by being on the outskirts of society that Israel would not engage with Egyptian people and culture. Because if they did, what would happen is Israelites, the Israelites would forget who they were, and they would start to follow the pagan ways of the land. Israel proved this later in different stories in the Old Testament. And so therefore, Joseph wanted them to be on the outskirts. They wanted, he wanted them to be separate from Egyptian culture they were called to live in Egypt but not be of Egypt and that's a call for us today as we sojourn. we are called to be in the world but not of this world the call is for us to be set apart to live radically different from the world and scripture is clear on this we must be distinct holy people in first Peter chapter 2 verse 9 to 11 He says this, but you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Which war wage war against your soul. Be set apart. Wage war against the things of the flesh, the things of the world. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Living in Korea, you feel it, being different, being a foreigner, whether it be the language, the culture, the customs, address, the values, you notice it, you feel that difference as you go out there and live amongst the society. And as Christians, when you live in this world, you should very much be feeling that tension living out your faith. I would ask you today to evaluate if you do feel that tension when you're out there at work with non-believing co-workers, having conversations with them. Do you feel that tension when you're watching certain movies or listening to certain music, certain literature? When you hear different messages from the mainstream media and culture, do you feel tension between the world and what you believe as a Christian? If you do, I want to encourage you today. Take great encouragement because what that is is the Holy Spirit giving you discernment. What that is is the word of God working in your mind, renewing you and transforming you. And when you do feel that tension, be encouraged Continue to pray for his grace and the power to live differently from this world. Or perhaps there are areas in your life today where you feel the tension, but yet you're complicit, and you just go with the current, and you follow the ways of this world. And today, I would encourage you to take a moment to to repent, ask for forgiveness, and ask for that power to live boldly and differently from the ways of this world. And there are some of us here today, perhaps, that we don't feel any tension at all. We can see the values of this world, the goals of this world, and the purposes, and we feel no tension at all, and we're completely comfortable following the current. And if that is your case today, I want to encourage you to pray before God. Ask him to show the ways that perhaps maybe you're compromising with the word. Ask him to show you the ways that maybe you're not following him, but you're following the world instead. As a Christian, Christ died for you to give you life, and he accepts you just as you are. But he died for you not to leave you as you are, but to make you radically different, to make you a holy people, a nation of priests. That is our call for us on our sojourn to this world. It is to be set apart as his people. And the next we're going to look at is the provision. And we put these two things together, the call and the provision, because they're closely related. Going back to this idea of preserving Israel as a nation. And it's not just an individual that's being called to be set apart. It's an entire nation. It's a community of people that are called to be set apart. And what God has done for this group of people that are sojourning to Egypt, what he's done for Israel is given them their own plot of land. Gosh, and it would be in Goshen where the community of God would grow. They would flourish and live as his people. And it would be in Goshen. Where the, and, and eventually, as Genesis comes to an end, and we go into the book of Exodus, what we're going to see is that happens. Israel grows. It flourishes. And Pharaoh sees them as a threat now. And what does he do? He makes them their slaves. And hundreds of years of hard work and labor and suffering will come upon the Israelites. But God would then send someone to deliver them from the land of Egypt. And it will be in Goshem that God's people is protected and preserved from the plagues that would wreak havoc in Egypt. You see, Goshem is a type. It is a symbol of the church. It is pointing us to something. As we read the Old Testament, we will find that there's people and places and things, symbols and types that will point us to the New Testament, that will point us to Christ, and Goshen points us to the church. It is the church where God protects and preserves his people, just like he provided Goshen to protect and preserve the Israelites in Egypt. Our sojourning is not meant to be done alone. It's to be done in Goshen is meant to be done in community with one another as a church. That is his provision for us in this journey. We are called to be set apart, to live radically different from the world, and we can do this through his provision, the church, the community of God's chosen people. So to live a life that is set apart, that's called to be radically different, yes, we need the Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us the strength, Yes, we need the word to daily renew our minds, but we also need this community. Because it's in this community that we are strengthened, encouraged with other believers, but it's also the place where we're corrected, where we see where we fall short of the standards God has given us, and we are then encouraged to be holy and set apart. There's a famous German poet um, and philosopher named Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. And he says this, tell me with whom you associate, and I will tell you who you are. And this is so profoundly true, whether we want to admit it or not. The way the people that we associate has a huge impact on who we are. And this is most prevalent in our dating, I think, right? When you're first dating someone, and you're really getting to know them, and you realize they love having a nice hot tea and cuddling up with a book. And all of a sudden, what do you love to do? Have hot tea and color up with a book. Even though you haven't been to a bookstore in 10 years, somehow you start to love that, right? They love cats, and so do you, even though you have a deadly t- cat allergy, right? That's what happens when we start dating someone. But I'm not referring to just these crazy things we do for love. I'm, thinking, I'm talking about the more subtle things, the more important and deeper things. Because the more you live with someone, the more you talk with them, the more time you spend with them, the more conversations you have with them, what you'll notice is that you'll slowly start to become like them. I've noticed that after about four years of marriage. I have a lot of mannerism and speech patterns that reflect things I've learned from my wife. It's natural for us to start becoming in who, uh, like who we associate with. They have an impact on our lives. And so I want to ask you guys today, who is it that's impacting your life? Who are the people that you're associating with? This is a check for us. Like, who is the closest community that you have? Are they drawing you towards God? Or are are these people drawing you away from God? And now this isn't a call for us to be monastic and just cut ourselves cut off ourselves from the world and not associate with non-believers? Absolutely not. We're called to be witnesses. We're called to be uh, a testimony. We're supposed to share the gospel with those out in the world. But who you associate with the most, who has the impact in your life really determines how well you are able to follow Christ or not. We need this church to encourage each other, to strengthen each other, but also help each other to be set apart and live a life that follows after Jesus. And then finally, we come to our final um, provision or, or, or the, the, the lesson for our journey in today's passage, and it's the blessing, the blessing. So after the brothers humbly speak to Pharaoh, uh, Joseph's father... Uh, Joseph's father Jacob now has an audience with them. And we want to contrast the way Joseph's brother speaks to Pharaoh and the way Jacob, Joseph's father, speaks to Pharaoh. So this is the way the brothers speak to Pharaoh in verses 3. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flock, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan, and now... Please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. The brothers refer to themselves as Pharaoh's servants three times in this passage, signifying that they are in a lower position than Pharaoh. And rightly they are. These are just humble shepherds from the small nation of Israel talking to number one Pharaoh in probably the most greatest, richest country in that time. They are in a lower position. But then notice the way Jacob and the way he talks to Pharaoh, starting from verse 7. And then Joseph brought in Jacob his father and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my soldiering are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Again, think about what is happening in these verses. This is Pharaoh, the leader of the free world. And later we'll learn that Pharaoh, he's going to own all the lands in Egypt as the people sell off their lands to him in exchange food to survive the famine. He is extremely wealthy, and he's extremely powerful. And here comes Jacob. Let's look at how he describes himself. He says he has a life of sojourning, and so did his fathers Abraham and Isaac. Jacob owns absolutely no land at all. He owns a small little plot in Canaan where he would bury himself, and that's it. His entire life was a life of moving around and not possessing any land. Jacob also refers to the days of his sojourning as few and evil. Few and evil were his days. He's referring to the rough life he had. Right? If you look back on Jacob's life, he was the second of twin brothers. His brother was Esau. And his father loved Esau more than him. And so Jacob was always jealous. And what he did was lie to his father, stole his older brother's birthright, and Esau ended up hating him. Jacob ends up running for his life because he scared his brother would kill him. Jacob then goes to live with his um, uncle Laban for seven years. He works for Laban in hopes to marry one of his daughters. Laban lies to him, deceives Jacob, and then he has to work another seven years to marry the woman he really loves, Rachel. And so now he has two wives, sisters, who hate each other, are always in competition with each other. Husbands, imagine that, the headache that would have come from that. Jacob had a rough Difficult life. He was a deceiver. He was deceived. He owned no land, no property. He'd been sojourning his whole life. And yet, Jacob comes along. He meets Pharaoh. He doesn't refer to himself as your servant. And in fact, he talks to him as an equal. And more than that, he blesses Pharaoh, which shows us that Jacob considers himself at a higher position than Pharaoh. And Pharaoh receives that blessing, acknowledging that, that, Jacob has this higher position over them. So what does Jacob have over Pharaoh against the man who has everything, of all the treasures, of all the power that anyone could possibly have? Where does Jacob get this confidence? Jacob has God's blessing. Jacob has God's favor and God's presence with him. Before Jacob set off on his journey, this is what it says in uh, the beginning of chapter 46. This is God speaking to Jacob. He says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will be with you in your sojourning, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God is promising his presence and his favor upon Jacob in his sojourning. Jacob has God's blessing, and thus he has something far greater than Pharaoh could ever possibly possess. And Jacob blessing Pharaoh is highlighting the unique blessing given to the world through the Israelites, through Israel. And eventually, the promise that Israel would bless the world would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Christ, he would be the heavenly soldier that comes down into this world, leaving the glory of his home in heaven. And he would come into this perishable, defiled, fading world that we live in. And he would live a life that we could not live, that perfect life, holy and set apart to God. He would pay the price of our sins on that cross. Third day, he would resurrect from the dead defeating sin and death once and for all, he would ascend to heaven. And for those who believe and trust in him, he prepares for us the home we truly long for. That is the blessing we have in Jesus Christ. Our hearts will be fulfilled fully on that day when we return home, where our heavenly father awaits us. We will be in his presence uninterrupted, fully for eternity, where Christ, our Savior, awaits us, where generations of men and women in the faith will be there. It'll be a home where nothing perishes, nothing is undefiled, it'll be unfading glory, no more sin, sickness, and death. Give yourself to him. Let him fill the longings of your heart. Let him transform you to live a life set apart for him. Commit yourself to him and the church that he died for. And know that his presence and favor is with you on this journey. You are blessed. Let us pray.
0: If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org Thank you for listening and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.